Welcome to the Alabama Literacy Network's podcast, which is designed to share information and best practices for literacy in the state of Alabama. We hope to bring a wide variety of resources together to help school leaders, teachers, and parents so that all children read at high levels. We believe that literacy is a fundamental right that is tied to so many positive outcomes that we want for the citizens of Alabama. This podcast was brought to you by Brightspot Ed LLC, an educational consulting company based in Alabama, providing consulting, professional learning, evaluation, services and resources. Our goal is to highlight the good and replicate it across education. Check us out at brightspoted.com. I'm your host, Shelley Bell Smith. Today, we will be talking to Dr. Maria Murray. Dr. Murray is the founder and CEO and president of the Reading League, a not-for-profit organization whose mission is to advance the awareness, understanding, and use of evidence-aligned reading instruction. Prior to founding the Reading League, Dr. Murray was an associate professor at the State University of New York at Oswego, where she taught courses related to literacy assessment and intervention for 10 years. She received her PhD in reading education from Syracuse University, where she served as project coordinator for Dr. Benita Blackman's numerous federally funded early reading intervention grants. Dr. Murray is passionate regarding the prevention and remediation of reading difficulty and consistently strives to increase educator knowledge and the connections between research and practice. Welcome, Maria. Thank you for being here today. I've been looking forward to this. Thank you for inviting me. The Reading League has at its core the mission to do the following things. One, invest in knowledge building for all educators. Two, anchor reading instruction in the scientific evidence base. And three, abandon practices that lack evidence of effectiveness for all learners. So the Reading League really does this work around the country. I'm curious as to where you think we are as a country in accomplishing the mission that I just went over. I think it's exciting that you're even asking that question because I don't know about you and how long you've been in this field, but I don't even think we could have imagined asking that question of one another just 10 years ago. It seems like 10 years takes forever to go by, and, and but really in this grand scheme of things, we've come a long way. I wish I could answer you with specifics like, oh, we're 30% of the way there and (laughs) we'll be all done in eight years, I think. There's nothing to that degree of specificity. But as far as a nation, we've awakened. I think that at least is happening. Now we're trying to also get to the greater public. And and by we, I mean anyone in this work, not, not just the Reading League, of course, anybody. We're trying to awaken the general public and other stakeholders and private foundations and public organizations, anybody, that we have a problem. And that is that those people responsible for teaching reading to our children, a very important public health responsibility, aren't being prepared. And that is not their fault, but they are not for number of reasons being prepared nor receiving adequate preparation or support during their careers. And I think that's just an insult to educators and harms their profession, doesn't allow them the tools they need to do what they can do. They can all do this. So the awakening is happening. We have to broaden the understanding that, in a sense, there's an emperor marching naked up and down the streets, and somebody's going to say, hey, let's do something about it. So it's exciting. There are multiple levers to still pull and push and turn and adjust, and there's multiple stakeholders that need to come on board. But it is happening. We have pockets, and it certainly is happening in your state in Alabama. I wish it was happening to the same degree here in New York. (laughs) It's not. Well, and 
Obviously, it is different in different parts of the country, but I think the Reading League has really ignited a lot of that work across the country. That is something that you should be incredibly proud of. The Reading League has really changed the landscape of professional learning, just like you were mentioning, for the science of reading by highlighting the need. And this has really allowed so many more people to be part of this movement. What can you tell us about the different options that are offered by the Reading League? Oh, I can tell you um, quite a bit (laughs) with the time that we have. Uh, The different options that we offer for professional learning, we like to say that we're in the knowledge transformation business. So we don't want to do any work that is just in and out. There you go. There's your knowledge. Goodbye. Good luck. We want to really develop deep, sustainable transformation on a large scale. We want to strengthen systems within districts and schools so that they are, what is a good word? I want to say impervious, but that's a little bit too big of a word. That they can withstand a retirement, you know, a a changing of the guard at the admin level or teachers leaving and that they're just so tightly aligned with the work that's got to be done. And all of their systems within are so in line, assessment systems and tier one and classroom and and hiring and training and PD, all of that is so tight that it can withstand and, and last. And that's that. And the kids will learn to read all the time there. So we do that by many avenues. We have the national conference, which is great. We we do live events every couple of months, and those are our original foundational pieces. We have online academy, which is a really wonderful, in-depth, very deep dive. One of the sayings I can't stand, but I'll use it. But with a highly trained expert going into a topic. And of course, the Reading League Journal helps us to be a knowledge transformer. That journal alone was designed to to be a conduit between all the wonderful discoveries we've made and are making now in the field of uh, science of reading research and get that into a (laughs) jargon-free, palatable, useful, reliable source for educators. Uh, We're establishing chapters in where I think we're up to 18 states right now, and we might hit 19 by the end of this year, maybe 20. And so those chapters are all 501c3 nonprofit organizations like we are who provide knowledge, transformation, information to people in their states. And then ultimately, our key, the heart of what we do is our school-based partnerships. And that's where we form a long-term professional development relationship with a district and train everybody, um, the administrators first and foremost, and then work our way down and go. we go slow. You know, you have to go slow to go fast. And you can't just say, oh, today we're going to talk about this and then we'll be back next week and talk about that. And it doesn't work that way. We all know that's not, that's not good teaching <laughs> for long term thing. So we're knowledge brokers too, you know, not, not in the knowledge transformation business only. We also are knowledge brokers. We'll take what's out there, the findings that we, we know to be wonderful for closing gaps and bring them to the people that need it. You know, there's so much still to learn and the people who work with the humans that are suffering or in need want to know what to do, but in education and it's particularly in reading, we, we've missed that boat. Our teachers have been sidelined and completely from it. So again, congratulations. Alabama. I'm going to say that like 15 times during this talk. 
Well, we do love science of reading here, but I think you make a a really great point is that it's not enough to share knowledge, but the capacity building of actually putting it into practice is the hardest part. I love the online academy courses because when I read them, I I always think I want to take that one and that one, that one. And Mm -hmm. so I think the one that I'm currently most obsessed with is the six-step plan for decoding spelling and fluency. So you've offered to give a lucky listener a free course and they can choose whichever one they want. That's the one I would choose right now. What can you tell us about this specific course? Oh, thank you. That's exciting. Like it sounds like you want to collect them all like some kind of a set of stickers or something. (laughs) The six step lesson plan format is derived. I think people will find it interesting where it came from and, and what it entails. But before I get into that, and I won't take too long on this, but we do have a recommended cohesive sequence. The online academy for people who don't know features these two or three hour knowledge blocks, we call them, because you want to build a road or a foundation of knowledge. So instead of calling them classes, they're called knowledge blocks. But the first one is foundational knowledge blocks. It's you know, that one is kind of like the beginning piece. And we recommend people who are really more new to the science of reading take that. And we've even had people take take it who do training like you or I might do. And they just enjoy taking it because it gives another way of looking at things when you hear someone else teach it. And you always pick up something for your bag of tricks. But then there's a phonological awareness, a knowledge block, and that goes into the importance of it and how to assess it. Then there's a phonic knowledge, knowledge block, sounds a little redundant but the same thing, how to assess and why it's such an important piece. And so we feel like those are recommended sequence prior to taking the six step lesson plan knowledge block you are asking about, but you don't have to, it's all up to you anyway. But I don't know if any of your listeners have read the first edition of Sally and Bennett Shaywitz's Overcoming Dyslexia book. But if you did, or if you do, you'll read about some of the neuroscience fMRI research they did by, and they have, they talk about how these children had fMRIs done prior to learning how to read. They were non-readers, struggling readers, and then they were taught to read by interventionist. And then after that year was up, they went back to Yale and had a follow-up fMRI. And that was all part of the heyday of fMRI research in the 90s. Well, those kids in that book were here in Syracuse. Those kids that got the fMRIs in the training were from a research study that I coordinated with Dr. Benita Blackman. So those kids were taught with this same lesson plan format. So it's exciting. And so I'm very familiar with that format. And I think anyone, it would be, it's very, it starts at the sound and then you manipulate the sound. It's a typical phonic sequence, right? You manipulate the sound and you read whole words and decode those and, and then read connected text. And then there's an encoding piece. So what we did was, oh, oh, and that program, by the way, Dr. Blackman used it in multiple instances of her research career. It was featured in the National Reading Panel Report and and so forth. And it ultimately got published as Road to Reading in 2008 by Brooks Publishing. And it's an amazing, it's just on all of our shelves here. We just, it's, it's very well known in central New York. So great resource. And, and I got a chuckle a little bit. I remember we, tr- we would train teachers in our scale-up studies to do this, use this program. And they did 
did it beautifully. And then, of course, taught all their students to read. And then we would go back a couple years afterward to say, hey, what's new in the school today? And what are you using now? And none of them were often using it anymore because someone in a district office somewhere decreed we're now using program X. And that program you're using, teacher, is not evidence-based, they would tell the teachers. (laughs) And I'm like, you know what? They're right. It's not based on the evidence. It is the evidence for Pete's sake, you know? So (laughs) you want to shake your hand, hands in the sky. So what we've done is we teach teachers that format and they can use road to reading if they want. We hope they do. And we added some pieces to enhance the lesson of phonological awareness because a lot of decoding interventions in the past have neglected that piece. So a few minutes of that teachers can do. And then also some fluency work as well. So a lot of programs with a typical phonics sequence failed to get those effect sizes or or standard score gains because they were lacking in attention to those other components. And I won't get into that, but that's kind of the meat and potatoes of that knowledge block. And it's one of our most popular ones. Well, obviously for a reason, it's so popular because people want that kind of recipe for how am I supposed to do this? And there are some programs that do that. But a lot of what teachers have been asked to do doesn't have those components laid out. And so this is bridging the gap for a lot of people. And so I I was laughing when you talked about this isn't evidence based, stop doing it. And it really was the evidence. It wasn't based on evidence. It was the evidence. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And teachers get so weary of finding something that worked and it working really well. And then someone coming behind and telling us stop doing it. So I think that part of of this knowledge transformation is inoculating people with enough information to say this is not what we're supposed to be doing because it's not based on the science. Exactly. That wouldn't have happened if that decision maker had the knowledge. And that's the work we're up against. Yep. Well, and it's just the capacity building is so essential because otherwise you can come in and do the best training, but it won't last. And so I appreciate that so much as a former school and district administrator. So Green League has been careful not to promote programs and curriculum. And one of the tools that you've created is a rubric that can be used by group or individuals for vetting programs and curriculum. And Alabama used it recently when choosing core curricula for grades K through three that meets the standards of the Alabama Literacy Act. Can you talk to us a little bit about what led the Reading League to develop this tool and just what are the uses of it right now across the country? Yeah, I remember the genesis of that tool's birth (laughs) or the idea for putting the work into developing it. And it was developed with quite a few wonderful people. I think six or eight of us worked on that, not all from the Reading League, but they are Reading League advocates. So we got to put our logo on it. Thank you very much to them. But there was a particular program that I will not name that was getting adopted quite readily in many states and areas. And people were all in a tizzy about it, knowing (laughs) that it had a lot of weeds in the landscape, so to speak. And and yet it was highly rated by one of the, and I again will not name. So each of those online rating systems has their own issues or their own criteria for rating programs. And we don't find that any of them are based on 
the findings from the science of reading, the kind of things that you should look for. They are based on state standards or research programs or whatever. And and we've had discussions with one of those and they acknowledge that people who do not possess the knowledge, <laughs> who are decision makers, can hop on there really quickly and take away the wrong bit of advice. I'm trying so hard to talk carefully. Am I doing a good job? <laughs> Great job. Okay. And this is politically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I want to leave enough room for people to read between my lines here, my oral lines here. So there was a ballyhoo going on about this program getting rated and what do we do about this when it's so obviously got some really egregious problems with it. And so we started thinking there should be a red flags document out there, things to look for and avoid. But that's not, you know, you don't want to always dwell in the negative. You want to also give people things to look for that are positive as well. And so we just developed that based on the some of the components in the simple view of reading and Scarborough Rope, things that people are getting familiar with, those anchor models or metaphors for skilled reading, and put it on our website under frequently requested resources. And we can't believe how well it's done. It's, you know, it's not perfect and we will be updating it all the time. It is a living document. We ask that people use it, give it a try and not to adapt it too much. Some people say, look, we made it just for kindergarten or we made it for this or for that. And we say, we're afraid to have different copies out there because it'll be like the telephone game. You know, they'll they'll get uploaded and changed and then you'll end up with one that does not look at all like the original. So, but that's kind of what led us to develop the tool. Right. And you kind of mentioned that you want people to give you feedback so that you can continue to improve it. And so how would they do that? They would just let you know or... Yeah, please, please. So we have used it a little bit here in-house. And, you know, we did a little bit of field testing just to get... But there was a hurry to get it out there. We know that... I should have said this a minute ago. We talked long and hard about whether we should even put it out there because a rubric is only so good as the person filling out the rubric. (laughs) So what if somebody... You know, did we make it clear enough, strong? strong enough to be used by anybody. We don't know if someone with more knowledge about X, Y, or Z will come to a better landing place than if somebody's, if if my husband used it, he better use it well, because living with me. But we know that, you know, and I think you mentioned that there's a, there's a place or two where you can check the, like a red box for watch out. And yet with a particular program, checking green might not really feel like a solid on that same line. We really would love to get some reliability on the rubric, meaning if anyone has used one, and I really appreciate you asking this question, I'm really looking for anyone that has used it with a particular program. We don't care what it is. If you would make a copy of it, you can take your name off it and but write up on the top what the program was and email it to us. You can email it to me, maria at thereadingleague.org. And then we want to say, okay, now we have 50 or 100 of them on program A. And they all answered the same exact way. Yay, what a great tool. But Or maybe there's one area where, geez, these three or four lines just are coming back with all different kinds of responses. So please, anyone who has used the tool and still has it somewhere within reach, we'd love to start collecting some data and, and making the tool stronger. Well, and I think you make a great point. It's really dependent on the knowledge level of the person using it. And so if my 
husband did it and he, he does build bridges and highways. So he would not do well using it. He'd do those other things, but not gauge educational programs. And so I think that that is something really important for people to know is it in large part as strong as the user. So it makes sense, but anything we can do to make it impervious to user error or subjectivity, that would be wonderful. Yeah. That sounds like someone's uh, dissertation right there. So, no, yeah. So I'm excited because the Reading League has a really cool new program called Reading Buddies. And this is a TV and YouTube show. What can you tell us about it? How did it start? And how might people use it with children? Oh, yes. Reading Reading League has a television show and we call it Reading Buddies. It will be launching September 13th. So just in a couple of weeks. And it will launch on television here in central New York on WCNY. That's our local PBS channel, which is, if you can see out the window, there they are right behind us. (laughs) Uh, The studios are right there. So people can watch it on WCNY's website or YouTube. We have not published. That's academic work. (laughs) We've... um, produced, that's the correct word in TV land, 20 pilot episodes. And how this came about was when COVID was really in the beginning thick of it here in central New York and schools were starting to close. uh, WCNY, right here, was one of the first PBS channels in the nation to create TV-based 30-minute lessons, so academic lessons. So they worked with the Syracuse City School District to make classes for their TV classroom. And I was talking to their CEO, wonderful friend to the Reading League, uh, Mitch Gelman, and he told me about it. And I asked, well, I know you're going to have science lessons and math lessons. (laughs) And he said, oh, we're going to do reading. And I said, can you tell me more about that? And I'm like, Okay. Well, and, and so he called Syracuse City District and said, can the Reading League help with that that 30 minute reading one? And so they said, absolutely. So, but here's how we want it to go. So it was based kind of on the curriculum of the kids in the Syracuse City District at the time. And we ended up calling it Language and Letters with Katie and Kelly, our coach director and one of our coaches, who's now full-time with us, by the way. <laughs> And so they went with their masks and sat six feet apart and you know, if they made a mistake, they had to keep going. And it was just, you know, there weren't dry erase anything. You know, it was just, it was very austere in its delivery, which is fine. It was an emergency situation to try to help kids in the digital divide who did not have access to Wi-Fi and what to maybe keep up a little bit with their really important reading foundations. So that went off really well and they're still available online. But then Kelly, the coach director, learned there was a couple who was living in Syracuse in a mother's basement because they are they were displaced Broadway actors due to COVID sh- shutting down Broadway. So they were harboring in, in here, engaged at a time, but they got married. They cleverly created a couple characters, Dusty and Dot. Uh, Dot is a young girl and Dusty's her dog who can talk a lot but can't read. So sh- they created really cute, short lessons for children, high energy, kind of Sherry Lewis-y, love and humaneness, all wrapped up with engaging, fast-paced stuff. And they were doing it for Ronald McDonald House, for like an online babysitting service for parents who were not used to working at home with children that were antsy. So it was born out of COVID. 
And so we got the idea to ask them if they could take this curriculum and some of those aspects of letter names and letter sounds and mouth articulation, you know, oral articulation of those letters and and sounds and blending them together, all kinds of cute things wrapped with poetry and humor like you can't believe. Anywho, that's just a small snippet of what they do. And they said, sure. So that's just the beginning of it. And now it's really, uh, it's a reality. And we're thrilled that people are asking from New Mexico and the Philippines, when is it coming out? Because we think that teachers can use this to supplement what's happening. And and darn it, I'm worried about this upcoming year. And will we have interruptions again? So I think what we did was combine arts and entertainment with COVID, with learning loss, with, with children who really can't afford to miss a minute. And Hopefully we hit the target. We were looking forward to feedback from people and excited about it. Well, I know that I'm excited about it just because I know in my community, our schools are shut down right now. And so it's already happened. And we have children who are going to experience yet another year of interrupted learning. And so I think that this is going to be something really awesome for our kids and teachers to have on hand. I mean, we understand it's not the answer. It's not going to teach children to read. It can't replace a teacher. It can't replace school, but it can maybe help in some ways. That's what we hope for it. Well, I think it reinforcement. I think it engagement with that. And so having been an elementary school principal, I can just think of snack time and all these other times. Yeah where we put in a video that had absolutely nothing to do with teaching reading. And so this is an opportunity to reinforce those skills when we do have kids. And ideally, wouldn't it be nice if teachers or parents and caregivers watch it and families and learn a few tricks and ways to talk about print and sound themselves? And because these conversations you can have with children, you can model after how Dot is talking to her dog. And we hope to start a new season next year and improve the diversity aspect of the show. Right now, we were not able to have the guest speakers and the and the children on the show that we wanted to because COVID, Dusty and Dot were allowed in the studio together on that small set because they were living together. But we, we have big plans, including, you know, a backyard or a kitchen set and things like that for these characters next year, we hope. I can't wait. <laughs> so I'm curious, if you had a magic wand, what would you change? about the current state of reading right that's like a fairy godmother question and well i kind of what would you are like the fairy godmother of a Mm -hmm. lot of the reading improvement going on Mm -hmm. Uh, and so i mean when you talk about you've got chapters in 18 states Mm -hmm. and got a magazine and you've got all of these different things you are influencing things Mm -hmm. on a national and international level that's just crazy isn't it it's just And there's a reason for that. Yes, we're good at what we do, of course. But I think because the Reading League is founded by educators and a multitude of other diverse professionals like school psychologists and researchers, we we aren't one single entity of forcing ourselves into a building and wagging a finger. That's not it at all. I think 67% of our 
membership is classroom teachers and quite a big chunk of the remaining membership is educators of one form or another. So we're all in this together. And the reason this has grown to such a degree and that we get to do all the programs that you know we've talked about today is because people are starving for it. I mean, you know, the, the giant Facebook groups and the <laughs> and all the other amazing people doing this work in this country across the world even. But anyway, uh, magic wand. Oh, please bring me one. Uh, (laughs) I have one. I don't know how magic it is, but I do have one. I wish that a magic wand existed whereby we could wave it and everybody, whether they're involved in this work or not, could have a understanding of the urgency of what it means to not know how to read and what it means for us as a society and as a democracy. And at the same time, this has to be a twofer, please. (laughs) It's magical, right? Maybe it's a three wishes one but and and at the same time that that knowledge of that urgency and how it's it's social emotional financial psychological you name it <laughs> effects on our little children that grow up to be adults and suffer all that whole time if that was known and that also at the same time that we know how to fix it wouldn't that be something because then who would ever make a decision to not pass a screening bill or to not ensure that you know we provide support to our teachers and ensure that our professors get the training they need and and so forth i i just think awareness that there's a problem and awareness that we know how to fix it would be my magic wand yeah. well and the problem uh, with magic is we think that we can't do it but that's mm-hmm. when we actually can that's right so so we don't need a magic wand. We, just <laughs> we need, need a we need a megaphone. Yes, well, and and this is a megaphone of technological sort, but I do think we can do this because I do agree with you. If people really knew the cost, I sometimes get frustrated looking at the scores of schools where so few children are reading at grade level. And I want to get in my car and I want to drive there and talk to people and say, we can do better than that. But they don't believe that we can because they haven't seen it done. So the more schools that do this, the journal printing, you know, the reading league journal printing stories of success. I mean, if we can get the success stories out there, then if people could believe it's doable and then think about this keeps me awake. If we could fix this in a another decade or two, because the potential exists that we could in a generation or two get this problem under control. How many other social ills? I mean, you know, this is the call for educational equity that we've been yelling for, screaming for forever. I mean, this is a huge part of that and poverty. And so it's low literacy has its claws in a lot of other social ills. So if that doesn't make us feel urgent about it. And there's a fabulous new paper out by Nicole Patton Terry. It's in volume 75 of The Reading Teacher, Nicole Patton Terry, and she writes, Delivering on the Promise of the Science of Reading for All Children, Educational Disparities in Reading Achievement, 
And in particular, she says, I always come back to one fact that has remained true no matter where you stand in the debate. Not enough black and brown children are reading well in school. And she's calling this a fortuitous moment in history for reading research and practice coming at a significant global civic unrest time. And uh, coupled with pressures brought on by COVID-19 that have amplified disparities that have been around a really long time. So I cannot urge people enough if you can get a copy of this. It is a good short read and filled with very powerful sentences. So I think we'll be starting to see some of these on social media, starting with me pretty soon. So I think that that is exactly what I was alluding to is we have too many kids already who weren't reading well, and then you add COVID in. And so now is the time to change it forever. Yep. yep. I think the science of reading, as she says, it can ensure equitable outcomes for children. And again, thank you, Alabama, for all you've committed to doing and stay strong in this. The world is watching. The country's watching, just like we've been watching Mississippi and other states doing this work. Powerful. Thanks for leading the way. I don't know about leading the way, but we are certainly working on it hard. So Maria, thank you so much for being with me today. I appreciate so much what you're doing for teachers, children, and families, and just our whole country and and the world. Oh, thank you. That's high praise, and I will accept it and tell the team about it here. And thank you. And everyone, please uh, join the Reading League. It doesn't cost anything, and we're a professional organization that needs your name and your attention to this. Thank you. And it's strength in numbers. So Yeah, it's a social movement. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. Join us again for the next episode of the Alabama Literacy Network's podcast.